0: Welcome to BIV Today, the daily business news podcast from Business in Vancouver newspaper and BIV.com. I'm Tyler Orton, and this podcast is brought to you by the Downtown Vancouver Business Improvement Association. The Downtown Vancouver Business Improvement Association supports, promotes, and represents the shared interests of 7,000 businesses and property owners in the central 90 block area of Vancouver's downtown core. And today we're talking to the BIV Tech panel featuring Progresses Ali Pordad and Glue Technology Society's Linda Fawkes. We're going to go into Apple's big play for your TV, your credit card, even gaming and the news too. And later on Procore's Danielle Edberg, she joins us to discuss why more women should consider STEM fields and maybe how the construction industry can attract more diversity. But first, let's get started all about technology. and joining us now on the BIV technology panel to talk about all the latest news in the industry it is Progressa CEO Ali Pordad and Glue Technology Society CEO Linda Focus Ali Linda thank you both you guys are calling in uh, for the show today but uh, always great to have you on this show thank you
1: thanks for having me
0: okay so monday's apple event i had it plugged into my phone i was watching the live stream for what was Pretty much forever. This is like an hour and a half long event that I uh, live streamed here. And I thought I was going to be most intrigued by all the details of their upcoming streaming TV service. But now I seem to be far more interested in Apple's credit cards. I want to get into your guys' take on the big Apple event. Let's start with Apple TV Plus. Very sparse in the details here, but Ali, I know we've talked about this in the past before. You're, you're a big uh, content consumer with uh, the Netflix and all those other streaming services. Are you excited about Apple TV, or are you still kind of in wait and see mode at this point after this big event?
2: Yeah, I'm not sure. This uh, event, which was, uh, you know, for you know, in all, it uh, was uh, in all indication, it was uh, quite an event they put on. It was it was unbelievable. But I don't think the Apple TV itself. Uh, was the i don't think it's sold the show I, I really don't and i and i think uh at the end of the day uh this is probably their last attempt at it and if they if they don't get it right on apple t v plus uh then i i imagine they'll go down the route of partnerships and uh you know have have to have to, t- have to approach this from a different uh standpoint um they they definitely brought out all the celebrities that was interesting to see um but you know i think we'll definitely have to wait to t- wait until to see. Uh, what the content actually looks
0: like. Yeah, and that's the other thing. Beyond the content, which we didn't really see much of, Linda, it seems as if Apple is trying to, you know, show itself as kind of the central location to access your other streaming services. Most notably, not Netflix, though. Do you think is going to be a, a, a good bet on Apple's part, just for the fact that they have, you know, more than one billion active devices out there? This would be a pretty ubiquitous platform. Does this kind of have? some sort of sense to it with regards to Apple's standpoint?
1: I think so. I think that what we see in the TV side, especially with apps and channels getting their own apps, that we get as users lost jumping app to app. We just want to watch content and make that as seamless as possible. That's exactly what Apple TV Plus is lined up to do. Um, I like the fact that um, Apple will be, for me anyway, it's going to be the central point where I organize all of that content viewing stuff, apps, Channels. I like that I'm going to be able to tie my channel subscriptions into one place. Um, I'm pretty sure those developers aren't going to be happy, or content providers won't be happy paying Apple for the service of being part um, of the Apple service. But um, yeah, central central hub for all things TV around Apple. The fact they have their own um, original content I think is a bonus, and I am quite pleased that Spielberg and Oprah didn't steal the show. That there was other things to talk about. Um, Beyond what they're doing, which which is interesting, Apple's creating original content, but so are a lot of other people and doing it really well. What we are missing is this simple hub to centralize everything, and I believe Apple TV will do a good job with that. Okay, and, or, or
0: oh yeah, sorry, go ahead. Alec. Yeah,
2: yeah, I'll just I'll just uh, I'll just pose the question. Or do you think we might be on the cusp of seeing the next Blu-ray versus HD DVD? And, uh, you know, the, and it's, it's, it's a question that's going through my mind because you, maybe they don't sort of overtly say it at these events, but you can see, you can read in between the lines, right? When Apple is linking up with Amazon, when Netflix is linking up with, uh, you know, uh, TV providers, these, these companies are starting to entrench themselves. And I wonder if this is going to go down the path or if we're already going down the path of, uh, you know, a large scale and very overt uh, war uh, between these companies.
1: Well, what I see from the user perspective is people trying to simplify this massive wave of technology that's hitting them the tech and the apps. and the, Where do I go for what? It's just becoming overwhelming and we haven't even begun that process of incredible technology advancement. So anything yeah. that simplifies the user experience, which Apple TV is doing, I think users will jump on board. And and no matter how good Netflix is, no matter how good Prime is, yeah, you can get a Fire TV and a Roku stick. It's like, oh, my gosh, where do I – how do I make this easier? And I think that Apple is expert and uniquely expert at simplifying all of this big tech stuff in a way that users really gravitate to. And now they're pushing this privacy angle as well. So I think they're the sweet spot, and I don't think they're going to have an easy – competitor in this space because yep. Netflix isn't going to do it and I don't yep. want Amazon to do it as a user. So where does that leave me as an Apple enthusiast?
2: Well, Linda, I think the best example of what you're describing is the, uh, is the service that I think stole the show, which is the Apple card. I think Tyler was alluding to it earlier. Right. So the, Apple card, the Apple card really stole the show for me. It re- I mean, this this looks like a, a real disruptor. I mean, I'm not the biggest Apple fan. I've said it on this show over the years. Uh, I'm a Google user, but this caught my for attention. for that.
1: <laughs> yes,
2: <laughs> I mean, it looks like a real disruptor for the financial Can services you industry. That we're
1: talking, yeah, that we're talking about Apple disrupting the credit card industry. I think I totally agree with you, Ali. That stole the show for me, up and down. Beat yeah, Oprah, I, beat Spielberg, beat everything.
0: I just have to point this out, though. As soon as it came on screen, my Twitter feed was flooded with people kind of making fun of it because <laughs> it looked exactly like the magnesis card that Billy McFarland from the Fire Festival fame that he was yeah. trying to push. Uh, oh my though. Gosh. Yeah, so I, I got a laugh out of that, though
2: no you know tyler it, i there's a lot of there's there's just a lot of things you could point to that the show did seem a little bit outlandish uh, at the end of the day they, they had to put on a spectacle but uh, when you really look deep into what apple Pay's features are and i and i spent some time digging into them uh, there's some real disruption here there's some there's some real value add to the consumer um that should make life uh very different and very good for the consumer it does, you know. Uh, so all all great things to the consumer, but at the same time also lead led me led my mind down the path of, and this is coming off obviously the the recent news uh, out of Europe with Google. Uh, it got me thinking, you know, should Apple be in the credit card space? Like they 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 have your cell phone, they have your data, they know who you're talking to, they know if now if they know where you're spending your money, uh, is that going to cause potential issues for the consumer? Or is there going to be potential repercussions uh, from regulators around um, monopoly practices? And I was thinking, you know, maybe this is an extreme example, but one of the the core features of the Apple um, Pay uh, card that I I saw was this amazing real time point system where, you know, you make purchases and you get cash back in real time. Well, think about that. I mean, Yeah. yeah, I mean, if Apple has your payment history, what if they start, I'm just throwing, throwing out an extreme example, what if they start giving you less points for your purchases with Samsung and two times the points with your purchases for Apple? Right. Is that... Well, it, yeah, it,
1: they're already giving 3% cash back for Apple purchases on the daily cash and 2% it, for other purchases. They're exactly. So I can, tell you, yeah.
2: I can tell you, Linda, the regulators in Europe are not going to go for it. They're, they're coming down very hard on these companies right now. Google just got hit with the 1.7 billion dollar fine. I promise you, Apple and Amazon are next because this is the This is the, the, the point I was trying to make earlier. These companies—they're—they're—they're they're, they're large. They have—they're tech focused. They have all this data, but they cannot uh, leverage that data to—to to the detriment of their competitors to, to create to, to, to competition. That's where okay. when you cross the line, you—you you get yourself in trouble.
1: Yeah, and I think one of the things we've seen, though, with the new Apple hardware are these um, on-device chipsets that that are designed specifically to hold the security data. So the data we're talking about collecting as we spend on the card and watch Apple TV and do all of our health stuff on our devices is actually encrypted on device and not stored on Apple uh, servers. So that's why they can say so definitively, we don't have your data, we don't see it, therefore we're not sharing it. Even if we wanted to, we couldn't share it. So that is a, uh, a hardware encryption device-based um, technology that obviously is the opposite end of what Google is attempt- and Facebook are attempting to do. So I wonder if that will help Apple get past these, um, these regulations and, and have the European Union, for instance, as you said, say it's okay for them to also be dabbling or dominating the credit card space.
0: Well, yeah, uh, I, I that's do definitely
2: going to get very complicated, and uh, for the, for the regulators, for sure.
0: I do want to jump over to say what's going on in the EU in just a second here, but very quickly, they are also trying to you know disrupt, say, uh, the news industry as well as gaming, and they had some other announcements with regards to Apple Pay and uh, tapping into, say, transits. Anything that jumped out to you guys out of those last three things that I mentioned there?
1: I think arcades going to be challenging. I like the idea that it's not streaming. I like that these games can be played anywhere. We're going to pay a monthly fee for the game. I'm worried. I'm thinking the titles aren't going to live up to the um, expectations of the high end gamers. But it could be an interesting option for parents of gaming kids, especially when we'd now have arcade games that don't have micro payments involved in in the game therefore you can't pay to win the game you don't hack your parents credit card and steal a bunch of money they didn't know about All right. and you tie that to screen time which gives parents a lot of really nice integrated lockdown control over how much money and time their kids are spending on games so i i think arcade is going to hit that market i'm not sure it's going to hit the real gaming market
0: yeah, yeah th- on
2: the on the on the new subscription side i, I mean it, this I think we're going to have to see exactly where they take this. There wasn't that much information, at least I could digest. But from what I understand, uh, you know, they, if you have if you have a billion users looking at your at your phone every day, uh, you know, this is this is uh, you know this keeps the eye, this keeps the eyeballs on your phone. And so um, we'll see if if uh, it moves the needle for uh, struggling papers and struggling magazines that are out there. I think that's the, the ultimate test to see if this thing succeeds. I feel
1: sorry for some of those magazines who don't look as beautiful on the design side, because if your magazine is not designed to the levels of Apple expectations, which is kind of the best in the industry, you're going to look really bad over on (laughs) News Plus. Exactly. That's important. But I also am quite amazed that Oprah is now going to have a billion people strong book club, apparently. And what is that going to do for her immense um, power in selecting her book titles? I look forward to seeing those discussions about. Oh, prisoner
0: book. And uh, this whole time, I already thought she had a platform of a a billion people just based Mm -hmm. on uh, how ubiquitous she is. Uh, One of the other things that you were alluding to earlier, Ali, was of course, Google has been hit with a 1.5 billion euro antitrust fine in the European Union. This is their third one in a series of these sorts of things. And Ali, you brought up the fact that, you know, the EU has been far more aggressive than our counterparts here in North America. Are you expecting that maybe they're going to turn their attention to big players like Amazon and Apple next when it comes to these antitrust issues?
2: Oh, they already are, Tyler. I'm, I'm confident that they have their eyes on Amazon, uh, Facebook. I'm not sure about Apple uh, just yet. I I know uh, Linda's quite confident that probably not. They're not probably in that category. But uh, you know, I think if we look deep enough, and specifically, I think if you look at the at at what the EU is trying to accomplish here, I I, I don't think Apple will be able to escape by without, uh, or Microsoft without uh, potentially being uh, brought up into the conversation. Uh, There's just there's just too many uh, platforms that these businesses have acquired over over the age of time that. Have put themselves and put their businesses in precarious positions as it relates to the specific antitrust, um, you know, uh, legislation they're trying to defend against here. And, and Google, obviously, Google has the the big obvious examples with their AdSense and with their marketing uh, advertisements and how that ecosystem works. But uh, I mean, you have to think Facebook. Uh, with the way they handle their data and their, and even in their market, their marketing uh, and, and, and ads on their um, platforms and cross-platforms is what is going to get caught up in
0: this as well. And Linda, I need to ask you this: uh, Beginning this week, Cater, it's a technology company based here in BC. It is saying that it's launching the first regulated ride-sharing app, and it's doing this by acquiring 140 taxi licenses. They're going to have their own cars. It doesn't really look like the typical ride-sharing you would see in, say, other jurisdictions, but the app works very much like Uber and Lyft. Uh, From your perspective, Linda, is this really ride-hailing? Is there maybe an unfair advantage that this tech company is going to have coming into it when Uber and Lyft still aren't able to operate within this market?
1: Yeah, this, I don't believe this is ride hailing, obviously not ride sharing. I think this is Vancouver taxis that are white and have an app that you can use to get the taxi. We're still going to be locked down to municipal boundaries. People in suburbs are still going to be stranded. Uh, taxi drivers will still have empty seats. The reason Uber and Lyft are Uber and Lyft isn't because they have a whole bunch of cars on the road. It's because they have the tech to ensure that each of those car rides is maximized with a passenger in the car. That's pretty sophisticated uh, technology and algorithms behind what makes that work. Um, and that's how they exploded. So we can get a car anytime we want, wherever we want, and the drivers supposedly can make more money doing it, so everybody wins. Um, and I don't see that's what cater is. So do they have an unfair advantage? Only in that people will not be able to use Uber and Lyft. As soon as Uber and Lyft come into the market, uh, I'm guessing the cater app gets relatively quickly forgotten, and we start actually ride-hailing and ride-sharing. Vancouver doesn't need a hybrid model. We need the model that everyone else uses. And let's see how cater competes.
0: All that said yeah, though, Ali, are, are you at least willing to give this a shot once they go uh, and launch here?
2: Absolutely not. I, I think this is just a PR stunt. I totally, uh, totally agree with, uh, with Linda and I can't put it any better. This is just uh I think we've had enough here in BC and I'm speaking from Ontario right now, but I've had enough <laughs> of what's going on in BC and I, and I want to see a uh, real change that helps consumers. And until we have Uber and Lyft uh, and I can speak uh, firsthand on this, I took my Uber this morning to to the office. Uh, Life is just not going to get better for, for the consumer that wants to get around town and get around uh, more affordably and more conveniently.
0: And it looks so, like, uh, yeah, totally, yeah. We've probably got at least six months plus, six months at the very least until we actually have Uber and Lyft if they ever do arrive in this market. So it's going to be interesting whether the cater app can get a bit of a first mover advantage. We'll have to see. And uh, for now, Linda, Ali, I want to thank you both for joining us on the show.
1: Thanks. Thank
0: you. Hi, guys. That's Progressa CEO Ali Pordad and Glue Technology Society CEO Linda Faucus. And stay with us, Procore's Danielle Edberg. She joins us next to discuss why more women should consider STEM fields and how the construction industry can attract more diversity.
3: Should construction be considered a STEM field? Procore believes it should be. Danielle Edberg is the Senior Manager of Industry Advancement at Procore, which provides the cloud-based applications for the construction industry. She joins me on the line today to talk about that, as well as other industry initiatives intended to address the labor skills shortage facing BC's construction industry. Danielle, good to have you on the show. Thanks for coming on.
4: Yeah, thank you for having me, Haley.
3: So, science, technology, engineering, mathematics, and construction. Tell me how the latter belongs or should belong as a STEM field.
4: Yeah. You know, I think this is actually an opportunity to educate more people on what the construction industry entails. Um, obviously there are kind of the jobs that you think of when, when we talk about construction, which most notably is labor, but, um, there are also highly skilled and technical positions within the industry that most people don't think of. Um, one example is, is, well, a couple of examples are design, architecture, engineering, scheduling. These are all roles within construction that would benefit from having people with STEM backgrounds. If you look at a lot of the up-and-coming technology trends, virtual reality, robotics, exoskeleton, 3D printing, these are all, um, these are all really related to the STEM field.
3: Interesting. And I wonder, too, we've seen so many industries either be disrupted by technology or required to adopt new forms of technology. What's that level of adoption you're seeing within the industry, generally speaking? You know, I think the construction
4: industry has historically been slow to adopt, but it's speeding up now. Um, I think that a lot of companies are realizing that they're able to deliver higher quality projects, move a lot faster, Um, stay on schedule and really build better when they're able to um, introduce these new technologies to their existing processes.
3: I suppose it then means that construction and companies within this field are then having to compete for talent along with tech companies and other industries that could use this skilled talent within the STEM fields.
4: Right. That's exactly it. And I think that's where construction is kind of missing the point a little bit. Um, Since STEM is not really considered. Related to construction, there's companies like Procter and Gamble that are spending all of this money on um, doing campaigns to attract um, women and people of diverse backgrounds into STEM fields. But construction doesn't really reap any of the benefits of that because people don't associate it with STEM.
3: Are you starting to see companies either realize this and either build campaigns around it or change some of their recruitment strategies in order to secure some of the talent they need today and also will need in the future?
4: You know a little bit, but I think that still is something that needs to be built out more. Um, I, it's kind of a global marketing problem in my mind in how construction companies don't position themselves well and they're just not perceived as cool and um, when people are making these decisions or thinking about what their careers are in high school and in college, construction doesn't necessarily come up even though there are colleges with and universities with numbers of construction management programs being taught.
3: Right. And I know traditionally, even just recruiting for construction, it's sometimes a a challenge. There are companies here locally that are very engaged at the high school level, even sometimes at the elementary school level. And I've heard that often what they're met with is potentially resistance from parents. The kids might think it's interesting. They get to be outside. They get to work with their hands. Maybe it's a technical related position, but it's parents who sometimes see it as, a laboring job and something that perhaps doesn't require a university degree and perhaps isn't worth the time. That sounds like it might be quite a big barrier to overcome.
4: Yeah, that, that's definitely a barrier. And I think that brings up an interesting point because there's different kind of ways to get into the construction industry. Um, obviously, the four-year college route has been, has become really popular over the last 10, 20, 30 years. So that's what a lot of um, parents encourage. But um, the the um, skilled trades route is actually very lucrative too. Um, it still just kind of has that, um, you know, negative perception for whatever reason.
3: One way, of course, to address this skills shortage, and we're hearing a lot of conversation about this, is to look to women or to other minority groups that traditionally weren't really part of the construction industry, or frankly, STEM fields or industries for that matter. Are we seeing the needle shift? Are more women, for example, entering the industry?
4: Yeah, um, I think more, more women, are, women are definitely going into engineering-related fields um, at the college level. We're seeing an increase in that. Um, and more women are, are entering the industry. It's not a giant growth, but one of the bigger problems that happens there is a lot of women enter and they don't stay.
1: Mm.
4: So a lot of companies really focus on their recruiting efforts. While what they really need to kind of turn around and look at is their inclusion and really like what they do to nurture these women as they do begin their careers and make sure that they have similar opportunities to grow since they don't really have women that they can look up to in a lot of the leadership roles. Those are, there's very few.
3: Is that what it is? Is it not maybe seeing a path forward? What have you heard from women who perhaps have left the industry?
4: Yeah. I mean, I think it's multifaceted. So not seeing a path forward and not being able to see examples is part of it. Um, it's also really hard to break into that upper management level. Um, so a lot of companies to combat that are creating specific programs for women where they identify potential high achievers and kind of help mentor them specifically through that.
3: I'm curious too, and you. I'm picking up on a word you said, which is inclusion. We see this in the tech industry as well. Even if you're recruited, even if management wants you there as a woman or as a minority for that matter, you get to a site and it still may very well be male-dominated. And even though you're wanted there, you don't necessarily feel like you belong or it doesn't look like you belong. And that seems like something that's much more difficult to shift. Culture can be a difficult thing.
4: Yeah, culture is very difficult to shift. And I think it's a it's a two way street, too, because um, a lot of the women who you talk to that have been able to succeed and progress in construction have really taken a personal um, take taken on it as a personal Task to be able to deal with that and figure out the right way to respond to things, but there's also a lot that can be done from a leadership top-down perspective in these companies to create a better culture and create company policies that um, that help foster that inclusion.
3: Where do you think all of this is heading? I know we're heading for a skill shortage, but that aside, when it comes to the adoption of technology, when it comes to some of these more inclusive policies and recruitment strategies. How different do you think our construction industry might look in five, 10, even 20 years time?
4: You know, historically it hasn't shifted that fast, but I think we're at kind of a new point with this, with the skilled labor gap and all of these things that are happening at the same time, the current political climate, um, that I think the shift is going to start to have it happen inevitably. But I think um the construction industry has an opportunity to kind of jump on it and take advantage of the efforts that are happening in recruiting people to focus on STEM careers and speed that up quite a bit.
3: What might be some of those best practices looking to other industries that maybe have a better sense of how to do this?
4: You know, that's a really good question. Um, I think part of it is really taking ownership of where you're currently at as a company and being open and serving your employees to find out how they actually feel. Hmm. Um, a, a lot of a lot of that allows um, you to actually see what the problems are. It also shows them that, hey, we know this isn't perfect, but this is something we care about, we want to work on. I think that's one big step.
3: I mentioned, too, earlier as an example, industry players potentially going to schools, but I wonder, too, if part of securing the talent actually comes from maybe looking outside of construction at other industries, not just to duplicate or take lessons from their recruitment strategies, but also maybe looking for the talent, which might seem odd going to see a tech company for the talent you need, but maybe we'll start to see that. What are your thoughts?
4: Yeah, I think that's a big opportunity as well, especially in some of the more um, tech-savvy types of roles. There is really no reason that They couldn't be pulled from other industries and other fields. It's a little bit harder on the field side since a lot of like the project management team really, you you can only get that experience from being in the field and working your way up, even if you have a college degree in something like project management. So that one's a little bit more of a challenge.
3: Mm -hmm. Danielle, a pleasure having you on the show. Thanks so much for coming on with your insight.
4: Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Haley.
3: That's Danielle Edberg. She's the Senior Manager of Industry Advancement at Procore. That's it for our show. Thanks for listening to BIV today. You can get notified of new episodes by subscribing to us on iTunes or Stitcher. You can also listen to current episodes, past episodes over at BIV.com slash audio. And of course, for all of our business news, head on over to BIV.com. I'm Haley Wooden. Thanks again for listening.